Well, I've entitled my message this morning, Treasure Chest. How many people have a treasure chest? Anybody have a special box that you keep special stuff in? Someone gave me, I still haven't figured out why they gave me this gift, but it's a, a really nice box with a key, and they had my name on a plaque and brass on the top, Blaine McLeod, Blaine with an E. I have no E on my name, but what do you do? I couldn't give it back to them. But I save things in that chest. Notes and letters that uh, my grandsons give me, or if Carol writes me a special lovely note telling me how wonderful I am and how fortunate she is to have me as her husband, I put that in there. I don't know if I have many of those, but um, <laughs> I, I, I can dream, can't I? And, um, or things that my grandsons have done, and I'll write it down so I won't remember it. So that treasure chest, it's really really special to me. We all have treasure chests. I heard a story about a, a mother, and I know she likely put this in her treasure chest. She had two sons, a four-year-old and an eight-year-old, and they went out to buy her a gift for Mother's Day, and they brought her back a plant. And the mother said, oh, this plant is so beautiful. But the oldest son said, yeah, but it's not as nice as the flowers. There was flowers there that I wanted to buy, but we didn't have enough money. And it had a nice ribbon on it and said, rest in peace. And he said, I know you're always saying, give me some rest, so give me some peace so I can have some rest. And so they thought this would be appropriate. Well, I think that's something she'd share in her treasure chest. Well, today we're looking at Philippians chapter 2, uh, continuing on in our series, The Good Life. In Santa Fe, New Mexico, there's a church, it's called St. Bede's Episcopal Church, and there's only one door going into that church, and they have a sign on the door that says, Servant's Entrance. So everybody that goes into that church goes in through the Servant's Entrance. Um, this is not a bad reminder that every believer is called to serve our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. Unlike most sports teams, the Lord's team does not have bench warmers. Every Christian is given first string spot on the team with a vital role to fulfill. A non-serving Christian is a contradiction in terms. Every one of us have been called to be a servant. Over our door on the way out are, what are the words over the door? Do you remember? Anybody remember? It says, be the church, right? Be the church. In other words, serve when you leave this place as well. Well, the scripture we're looking at today, it's an interesting uh, scripture. After the doctrinal high water mark of this letter where Paul speaks of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ who left all the, the glory of heaven to take on uh, the part of a servant uh, to become obedient unto death on the cross. And then Paul turns uh, uh, to some seemingly mundane matters about sending Timothy, Timothy and, and Ep Epaphroditus, say that five times, uh, to the Philippi church and about his hope of coming personally if he's released from prison. You may wonder why God took up a page of the Bible with travel schedules for these three people. 
Well, we're going to find out about that today, okay? Let's look at the scripture. It's Philippians 2, 19 through 30. And this is the word of God. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is in is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for uh, the help you yourselves could not give. I hope that you will see how the Holy Spirit uses this in a marvelous way to illustrate the truths that Paul has been presenting in this letter to us. These two men are worth imitating as we seek to serve the Lord. They show us that if we cultivate a servant's heart and endure a servant's hardship, we will receive a servant's honor. So let's just look at Timothy for a moment. It, perhaps a couple of years ago, a few years ago, it was uh, the name Timothy was uh, 125th on the list of favorite names. Um, Epaphroditus, or how do you say, Epaphroditus. Uh, I don't know many kids that are named that, do you? How many people know a Timothy or a Tim? We, we've all got our own Tim here, right? Yeah. Well, we're going to look at Tim's uh, background. His name means one who honors God, and he was a native of Lystra. And on the first missionary journey that uh, Barnabas and Paul took, they went to Lystra, and they had great success in winning many people uh, to the gospel of Christ. And they believed that uh, they saw many signs and wonders while they were there. And they believed that Timothy was one of the young men who were uh, accepted Christ at that time. Paul considered himself Timothy's spiritual father. He calls him, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. And for this reason, he said, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful to the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in the church and my true son in the faith. And then in 1 Timothy, he writes, To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus. 
By the time Paul and Silas came back on their second missionary journey, uh, the brothers at Lystra talked about what a faithful servant Timothy was. And they recommended that they perhaps take him along with them on their missionary endeavors. But there was one obstacle. He had a Greek father and a Jewish mother. And uh, he was not circumcised. Now, Paul was very adamant about the fact that you didn't have to be circumcised in order to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and he didn't insist on it with Titus. He said, your salvation is not whether you're circumcised or not. But in this situation, because he had a Greek mother, it would be a detriment to his ministry with Paul if he was not circumcised and we don't know why he wasn't. Maybe his Greek father just didn't think it was necessary. But, you know, he, he had a mother who spiritually influenced him. His grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice were great followers. And they taught him from the Old Testament. So Paul um, decided that it would have to take him, but something would have to be done. Because when Paul went into a town, he'd always go into a synagogue and he would share the gospel there and tell them about Jesus. But when he mentioned that Jesus was the Messiah, he would be turfed out of the, cinema, uh, the synagogue and so he would begin a church gathering. And, um, but if he came in with someone like Timothy who was uncircumcised, he wouldn't have the opportunity to share the gospel with the people. And so he must be circumcised in order for him to be an associate and to work with the Apostle Paul. And so we are told that uh, in Lystra, he was circumcised, and then uh, the elders of the church placed hands on him to give him his apostolic mission. So that's kind of the background of this young man. Can you imagine how determined he must have been and how convinced that this is what God was calling him to, to put himself through this? Paul entrusted him with the most delicate of missions. Timothy was a young man with exceptional potential for missionary statesmanship and, and church leadership. And, and I'd just like to show you his curriculum vitae. I know that's small, but here's some of the things that he accomplished with his life. He, he is left behind by Paul in Berea to continue the work after Paul is forced to leave because of threats against his life. During a time of persecution, he sent to Thessalonica to strengthen the believers in their faith. In Acts, we're told that he sent to Macedonia from Ephesus with a similar mission. In Corinthians, he is sent as Paul's emissary to bring teaching and healing to the troubled church in Corinth. And then in Philippi and, and uh, in the Philippians and in Acts, uh, he is apparently sent to Philippi and perhaps returns with a monetary gift from the church for Paul because Philippi was the only church that was supporting him financially. Uh, Timothy, uh, in Timothy we see that he was instructed in how to appoint elders and deacons in the church. And he accompanies Paul on the last trip to Jerusalem. He's at his side during imprisonment. He's mentioned in the salutation of letters to Philippi, Colossae, Thessalonica, and 2 Corinthians. So he is having an impact, and Paul definitely saw and uh, used the gifts and his obedience and his servanthood. 
uh, God used. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. Pretty high praise from someone like the Apostle Paul, isn't it? But like us all, however, Timothy was a person under construction by God. There were things that he had to work at. Paul, his mentor, must encourage him against timidity. He was shy. Go out there. Be bold about your faith. Don't let people intimidate you. You know, and we, we can relate with that, can't we? There are times when you feel, oh, there's no way I could do that. You know, because we're timid. Well, he was timid, and he, and, and he, he dealt with that. But, and he said, people will despise his authority because of his youth. They won't respect you because you're young, but don't let that stop you. And then he uses his treasure chest of knowledge by urging him to be diligent in spiritual matters and to persevere in the Christian ministry. Paul also instructs him how to behave towards various kinds of people. You know, building a church, pastoring a church, you meet all kinds of people. You meet the good, bad, and ugly, right? They're all there, and they all come in different forms and sizes and, and uh, gender. But you have to know how to handle them. And so he's teaching this young man, this is how you need to deal with these people. And control your passions. Dealing with error. Keeping himself from godless myths and speculations. Paul encourages, um, by his own example, to love, to show faith and purity to fight the good fight of faith and to keep the faith in good conscience. And so Paul longs for Timothy, Timothy at the closing days of his life. He says later, he says, Timothy himself is imprisoned in his day and is released. We know that he was imprisoned as well, Timothy was. Um, and of his latter life, we don't know that much about him, but we do, tradition says that he succeeded the apostle John as bishop in Ephesus, and that he was beaten to death at age 80. All in all, Timothy made a remarkable contribution to the ministry of Paul and to the first century church. He had selfless love. He says, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. All the people that Paul had introduced to Jesus Christ and all the leaders that were in that church, he says there's not another one like him. Like him. He has a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. It's high praise. Timothy was also a great comfort to Paul in his imprisonment. But Timothy was more than just a familiar companion. He was a Christian statement that Paul could send and deal with some of the most sensitive issues. And look what makes him an effective leader and a servant. He takes genuine interest in your welfare. You can always tell when people are genuinely interested in you or just doing it because they are obligated you know people like that? I do this or I say that because you were expected to say that. But he was genuinely interested in their welfare. He wasn't self-absorbed. He doesn't have a hidden agenda. 
Have you ever met anyone and you felt as soon as you met them they had a hidden agenda? You know, that uh, they want something from you, so they're doing this so they can get that. I think we've all experienced that from time to time. He cares about those he ministers to very genuinely and naturally. And the interest he shows is, is not some professional exercise. He really cares. He was interested and he was concerned. So Paul has a lot of experience with church leaders, but... By now, so, but Paul says, I have no one else like him. If you walk with the Lord for a while, you know that he has a way of surfacing our flaws and making them obvious to us. Then we can deal with them and bring them before him and let him heal us. Paul goes on to describe Timothy. He said he's like a son. There's a son and father relationship. So Timothy worked with Paul as a son with his father. What does that mean? The way boys learn to farm or to be a carpenter. Jesus was a carpenter because Joseph, his earthly father, was a carpenter or a tent maker or whatever trade. They generally work alongside their fathers for years learning to not only the skills, but attitudes and values that are necessary to perform the work successfully. Timothy was an apprentice. Do you have someone that you apprenticed with or that you are apprenticing with now? Someone that models Christ and a servanthood attitude that you find inspire you and teach you through their living? I can remember some of my own spiritual mentors and how valuable they've been to me. First, my own father. He taught me to love, respect, and value people. And he would say, you know what? It doesn't cost anything to be nice, but it sure is costly to be nasty. And he lived like that. He not only talked it, he lived like that. And he'd say, always try to leave people better off than you found them. And he did that too. Then there was Ridge Hawkins. Now, Ridge Hawkins was an interesting man. In many ways, he, he was peculiar, but wonderfully peculiar. Um, his compassion, his selfless giving, his candid honesty with me were invaluable. He was like a spiritual father to me in my early days as a new Christian and a teenager. His investment of time and counsel I'll always cherish. Some days he would invite me and say, Blaine, come on over to the church with me. He lived across from the church and I used to be at his home a lot because my best friend was his son and his daughter was also an interest to me. And so we, I would spend a lot of time at their home. And he'd say, Blaine, come on with me. And we'd go across the street to the church. He'd say, okay, go on up there and uh, stand behind the pulpit and uh, read scripture to me. And I'd really, you know, read scripture. No, you've got to get used to reading scripture out loud. 
And uh, you know, how many people are nervous about reading scripture out loud? I think we all are at times, you know. I remember in Sunday school class when the teacher say, okay, we're going to all read a verse of scripture. And I'd, I'd go, one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, I'm reading, I'm reading the seventh verse. And so I'd read it over and over to make sure that I didn't make any mistakes. Anybody ever do that or is that just me? Just me, okay. <laughs> I guess I am peculiar. And then someone say, I'm not going to read. And then, oh, now I've got to read. It's the next verse I've got to read. But anyway, he would have me read it out loud. And then he'd talk to me about it and say, you know, you should have put the emphasis there instead of here, right? You know, and talk to me and, and do it in a very positive way. And then he talked to me about the scripture that I read. And basically, he was having a Bible study with me and I wasn't even aware of it, maybe. But I can remember one day I was, um, you know you have those days where somebody just ticks you off royally? Anybody ever have a day like that? Or am I only one in the world that has those? Oh, look at the hands. Okay, I see those hands. And the altar's waiting for you. <laughs> and I remember being kind of just cheesed off a bit at this person. And I kind of just pulled an attitude, a major attitude. And he saw it. And I still see his face. He looked at me. Get in here. What? And I went in the house. He said, go upstairs. And upstairs, in the bedroom, he followed me. I'm a teenager, 17 years old at the time. And he said, you're supposed to be a representative of Christ. How do you think Christ was representative in that attitude you showed to him? Uh. I don't know. He showed me something that day. He showed me that he was going to be honest with me because he loved me and he wanted the very best that God could use, right? And we ended up kneeling by the bed and praying, asking God to forgive me. And then he prayed for me laid his hands on me and prayed. You think as a young teenager, uh, it was exciting going upstairs and having him following you and knowing you seen his face? Just, <laughs> no. But you know what? It perhaps wasn't my greatest moment. But I'll tell you this. It was perhaps one of the most valuable moments that I experienced. He was a treasure to me. He was a treasure. He taught me that serving Jesus is an honor and not a chore. You know, a lot has to do with the quality of our love for this Jesus in this vessel. If we're just doing church work, that can get old. Boy, can that get old. But if we realize that we have a treasure in earthen vessels in the person of Jesus, and that's our motivation to serve and to bring honor and glory. Epaphroditus he was a believer who was sent by the Philippian church to bring money to Paul while he was in prison. 
His name means charming. Do you know what my name means? Fester. Or pimple. And my middle name is Eric, and that means manly, so I'm a manly pimple or fester. <laughs> and I never want you to repeat that to anybody. Is this being taped? We'll, we'll edit that out after. Well, he says, but I think it's necessary to send back to you Epro I can't get my tongue around that. I've got it written out this long. To Epaphroditus. 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 Let's say it all together. There you go. So anytime I say Epaph, you know what I'm talking about, okay? He said, I think it's necessary to send him back to you, my brother. He's a fellow worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. Look at the way that Paul describes him. He's a brother. He's a part of the family. He's a worker. Paul's in prison. There's no cities to take for Christ, no glorious missions to, to the heathen, just the everyday chores of going grocery shopping and helping with cooking and finding people that Paul needs to talk to and to bring them back to his house, perhaps helping him by transcribing letters. But Paul doesn't trivialize his time in prison, and he doesn't see it as wasted. He said he's a worker. And no matter that Paul is the famous apostle, he's just a humble layperson coming to help. And he made a valuable contribution. He's also a fellow soldier. He says we're not complainers or slackers, we're soldiers. And he was a messenger without extraordinary status. And he was, a minister, he was an assistant, like a priestly minister or an assistant or an aide-de-camp. You know what those people are? I, I remember one time I, I, um, a patron of the Canadian Bible Society where I was the director, uh, it was the Lieutenant Governor, Hillary uh, Weston, from Weston Food, you know. Lots. And so I was having an audience with her. And so her aide, the way you had to do it, he would bring you in, he would introduce you, and then you made all the necessary salutations, whatever. Uh, it was kind of so he was an assistant with Paul. He was useful. But he had to send him home. And you know, when you read what, why he was sent him home, it's kind of interesting. You look at it and you can read between the lines. He says, you know, he 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 almost died because he became sick. And he was sorrowful for that, but he was glad that God raised him up because he'd even be more sorrowful. And then he wanted to send him back so that uh, he wouldn't be as anxious anymore. So he was really concerned because he got very, very sick. He was seriously ill. And apparently the illness wasn't just a random disease, but something resulting from his ministry to Paul, risking his life to make up for the health. Uh, you, the help you could not give. And then it was directly caused by the work of Christ, and perhaps he needed to go home to recover fully. He's concerned that the Philippian church 
is too distressed about him as you look at the scripture. Whatever the reason, Paul's letter to the Philippians is designed to ensure that the church will honor him, his work, rather than considering him a failure. He's a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, messenger, and minister. So these are the guys that we're getting this uh, travel uh, log from, uh, Peter, or from Paul, about uh, them. But he invested in their lives. He took the treasure that he was. And you know, we're all, uh, here's, a, here's a treasure chest. Um, do you ever think of yourself as a treasure chest? No. Every one of you are a treasure chest. And what it is, it's a unique blend of experiences. Family experiences, successes, failures, academic challenges, opportunities, places you've been, people you've met, make you a unique treasure. And it is this treasure that God wants to use for the sake of others. Maybe your marriage. I want the 40-year-olds to listen. If you're younger than 40, you can listen. But I want you over 40, I want you to listen to from a different angle, okay? I want the younger ones to recognize that those over 40 years of old have a treasure, fest, a treasure chest filled with life experience. They know what it is to struggle financially, some of them. Some of them know what it is to, to make a lot of money. Some of them know what it is to struggle to pay a mortgage. Some of them have prodigal children that have been a real heartache to them, and they know what that pain is all about. There are some uh, that uh, their marriage, uh, they've been married a long time, but it hasn't been perfect. It might be rocky, but they can tell you how they get through the rocky time. This is treasure, people. This is treasure. Uh, and you say, well, um, and there's some that have been married more than once, and they can tell you the pain of divorce and what they had to go through. There are some who made lots of money, but there are some that even face bankruptcy. Their treasure chest is filled with these kind of life experiences. And that experience and the knowledge that they have derived from that can be an instrument to help those who are starting out on their journey. It's all about relationships. You know, they've raised kids. Some of you are starting to raise your kids. You see, we learn more by failure than success. Some people have skeletons that are buried in their chests, and they never ever thought that they would be exposed until one day they knew that this was something God could use in a profound way to help somebody else going through that situation. You see, the value of life is always determined by how much of it was given away. 
Andy Stanley said that. The value of a life is always determined by how much of it was given away. The older you get, the more you have to give. Your treasure chest grows. So why I divided it into two parts, I want you to look at um, Alex Knoll calls us experienced people, not seniors or old people, but people of experience. And I'm inviting you today, those of you who are experienced, to open up your treasure chest and share your knowledge and your wisdom that you've learned through sometimes pain and struggles because those younger people want to know how you did it so they can benefit. They don't have to make the same mistakes. You see, we can't keep it to ourselves. Give it away. The value of a life is always determined by how much it was given away. Ridge Hawken, he gave and invested from his treasure chest into my life, and I will never, ever forget him. Paul invested in Timothy and, and the other guy, <laughs> Epi. And we're still talking about them 2,000 years later. Do you think they thought that when they were going through their struggles? Timid Timothy? I don't think so. You see, we all have a treasure chest. And I think we should make it available to those who are beginning their journey, building families, getting their first mortgage, trying to find a job. You know, they need someone to talk to, to help. Do you know, do you know what a dream would be? That every young couple has an older couple who's willing to share their treasure their experiences in life with another young couple. Think about how encouraging that would be along the journey. That you know when you're going through something, I can call Bob or I can call Phil or I can call Blaine or Tom or Val. And they're going to have some valuable experience to share with me to help me on this journey. The older you get, the more you have to give, your treasure chest keeps getting fuller and fuller. You have more insight, more experience, more knowledge. The poem I learned, a little learning is a dangerous thing. Drink deep or taste not the Perean spring. Its shallow draughts intoxicate the brain and drinking largely sobers us again. I thought I knew everything when I was 25. And the older I get, the more I realize how little I know. How little I know. I have more life experience. But the knowledge, I still need to learn. We still need to learn. So why not tap into these resources called treasure chests in the lives of people? As Christians, we're all accountable. God 
And the greatest treasure of all is knowing that Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior. You see, God still does great things through relationships. I would like to challenge you to pray and that you would ask the Holy Spirit to lay someone on your heart that you'd like to go and talk to. This is to the under 40. That you think that that person might have something that would be able to invest in your life and, and, and just help you and, and you'd have that kind of confidence in them. And I would like to challenge those over 40 to say, Lord, if someone comes to me, give me an open heart, a responsive heart, a willing spirit to share my treasure with them. Think of the wonderful relationships and the sense of fulfillment that uh, we would each find together. Let us pray. Our loving God, Heavenly Father, our creator, our sustainer. Thank you. Thank you for the people that have gone before us that have shared the treasures of their lives with us so that we would be stronger, we could be wiser, that we could live a life that is encouraged rather than discouraged because we've built relationships with people on our journey. Speak to our hearts today. Holy Spirit, would you just bring to the forefront of our thinking someone that you think would enrich our lives as they share their treasure with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.